Good morning, comrades. You're listening to Workers' Power with Hannah and Bill, and Jackson will be here shortly. He's just running a little bit late. Uh, anyway, we're on 4ZZZ, and you just listened to Can't Get There From Here by R.E.M. So thank you to Artcart for another wonderful show. Well, not Although really. You stole another one of our songs. Two songs. <laughs> Two songs. That's all right. We'll get you. <laughs> So today on the show, we have plenty of workers' action. Uh, we'll be talking to a special guest, Delta K, and of course, we'll have the world-famous Scallywag of the Week. But first, we would like to acknowledge the traditional an- uh, owners of the land from which we broadcast, the Yagara and Turrbal people. This land was stolen, never ceded. We pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggles for recognition, reparations and land rights. All right, we'll jump into some First Nation workers' action. Would you like to take that, Bill? Yeah, I'll go for it. It's uh, Indonesian... Uh, Indigenous prisoners... I need my better glasses here. Here we go. <laughs> Indigenous prisoners in Queensland currently in stage four lockdown. Correctional centres in Queensland have been placed into stage four lockdown after a staff member tested positive for COVID-19 on Wednesday, affecting thousands of inmates across the state. The staff member who tested positive has been identified as a corrective services trainer who trained 14 recruits and worked alongside 11 colleagues, all who have been tested and are now in quarantine. According to the Commissioner for Queensland Corrective Services, Peter Martin, around 7,000 inmates will remain in extreme isolation until advice from the Chief, Chief Health Officer says otherwise. Stage 4 restrictions will be in place until the Chief Health Officer advises us that it is not required. There will be no social and personal visits and also professional visits that would normally occur will not be allowed. In Queensland, more than 30% of adult men and women incarcerated are Indigenous. Whilst the number is around 40% for youth affected in the Brisbane Youth Detention Centre, The latest lockdown comes after a supervisor at the Brisbane Youth Detention Centre also tested positive for COVID-19 last week. Hundreds of staff and children were forced into lockdown as a result. The effects of isolation can include hypersensitivity to external stimuli, hallucinations, anxiety, panic attacks, memory deficiencies, concentration issues, paranoia and impulse control. Yeah, I heard overnight, I think it was the Brisbane, Brisbane Youth Detention Centre that fires, yeah, there was were fires. breaking out, yeah, so we're already seeing the effects of... Yeah. Yeah, one thing that really stood out for me here is that no professional visits are allowed, so that's basically solicitors. <laughs> yeah, lawyers, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and look, there'd that, also be, you, you would uh, think that mental health experts would be in that category as well. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Uh, even further compounding the problem, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the solution would be, but... <laughs> yeah, what they've it's got gonna here. Have, yeah, 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 it's going to have enormous effects on a, a lot of people, so hopefully they're able to... The, these are... These are um, well, organise it's it's a it's a private run company. A lot of a lot of these uh, yep. prison centres, and they're highly regulated, process driven organisations. Now, I emphasise 
process because they got they got so many people who can come up with a procedure and a process yeah. to to uh, not have them locked down to, yeah. and to to have uh, um, uh, you know social distancing, but locking them up twenty four seven is just oh yeah easy fix. We don't have to spend exactly. any money yeah. on resources. Yeah, lock them up. Who cares? They're just prisoners anyhow. Yeah. Well, they're workers. They are workers. They're workers. Right. So you know, um, and uh, they do. They don't deserve things. Like I'm um, surely there'd be. Um, what are those human rights? Uh, you know, like yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. There'd be some type of violation happening in there, but but uh, you know, under this regime, under this uh, current systems, you know, like they. Uh, once again, you know, using using the um, uh, lockdowns and stuff to um, oppress workers. Yeah, further strip away rights. That's right. That's right. Well, um, I'll jump on to the next story. So, police officers involved in Tanya Day death avoid criminal charges. The police officers involved in the death of Yorta Yorta woman Tanya Day will have no criminal charges laid against them. In December 2017, Tanya Day was arrested for public intoxication after falling asleep on a V-line train from Echuca to Melbourne. Miss Day was taken to Castlemaine Police Station and detained in a police cell. Whilst in the cell, she fell and hit her head on the concrete wall and was left alone and unattended for three hours. Miss Day died 17 days later, with the official cause of death being identified in the Victorian Coroner's Report on April 9th, 2020, as a left cerebral hemorrhage. It also noted that Victoria Police did not take proper care of Miss Day's safety, security, health and welfare. Miss Day's death was clearly preventable had she not been arrested and taken into custody, the coroner said. Despite the coroner's findings, the Director of Public Prosecutions has announced that the two police officers involved in Miss Day's death will not be prosecuted. Upon hearing this decision, Miss Day's family issued a statement through the Human Rights Law Centre. The DPP seemed to have based their conclusion on a police investigation that we have said all along was flawed and lacked independence, the family said. It is not good enough that such an important decision was made behind closed doors without any input from our family or the broader Indigenous community. It is in the public interest and the interests of Indigenous people across Australia that the police be held accountable for their actions. The family called upon the Andrews government to acknowledge and act on police brutality and commit to independent investigations of deaths in custody. Senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre, Monique Hurley, who represented the Day family in the coronial inquest, said, The status quo of police investigating themselves and dodging accountability for Indigenous people dying in their care must end. As it stands, no police officer has been held criminally responsible for the death of an Indigenous person in custody. For shame. Yeah. For shame. You know, it's... They investigate themselves conveniently enough. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like it's a joke, really. Isn't yeah, yeah, it? <laughs> like why bother? You know, you know, <laughs> if any other, we'll say we'll, we'll, we'll say the unions. If the unions investigated themselves, yeah. you know, oh, there'd be some some out, outrage, you know. But uh, oh, here we have the, 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 this is a, you know, and it goes back to I remember when we first recorded uh, reported on this um, a long while ago. I remember talking about how. I've fallen asleep drunk many a times on the train. Mm. Many a time. A lot of us have. Yeah. Yeah. You it doesn't don't get mean you should off be to a police cell. Yeah, you shouldn't be locked up for the night for it. No. You know, this is this is a ter- terrible story, and 
you know our our hearts go out to to their family because they the the the, the pain continues as they try mm. and seek just justice you know yeah and justice isn't served again and again and again yeah you know and uh, yes well, well these are some of the things we will hopefully be delving into with Delta K when we get her on. Right, so um, we, we've got on here, um, we're on to our section that we call Agitate, Educate, Organise, and it's uh, um, what we've been up to, but uh, we've got, to, all I've got here is um, McDonald's victory ridden. Yeah. So I've got some explaining to do. What's and, been happening, Bill? Well, w- what's been happening is uh, it's been a long, long-running uh, case uh, in, that uh, ended up in the Supreme Court and there was a judgment yesterday. Um, in regards to uh, the um, McDonald's, uh, the city stalls um, uh, that were uh, particularly the ones at uh, Maya Centre, uh, where we did a protest. Oh, yep, that was about a year and a half. Ago yeah, well, that, now, wasn't that, it? that's that was the beginning of it. You know, oh, or, or, wow. well, no, it wasn't the beginning. That was, that was when part we, of it. That was when we we said, "Hey, <laughs> this is not enough," and so that ended up in the uh, Supreme Court, and uh, there was a judgment yesterday. And uh, the judgment um, read that uh, it was the, the, all. all um, uh, wait, how did I've got to get the wording right here, comrades? <laughs> um, as you can imagine, um, so they were proven. The breaches of of the uh, Fair Work Act uh, were, were were proven. I think that's the right wording. And. Uh, um, so now it, it moves on to, um, you know, penalties and, and the like. Uh, our, our member was, uh, uh, has been um, compensated for, for her, her loss of income. But uh, there's more in that space, of course. Um, but uh, this one, it's a, it's a great uh, testament to, um, uh, well, if I do say so myself, to the union. <laughs> And also to the member and other members because a lot of uh, information and evidence was gained from the members um, to stand up and fight back. And, uh, you know, in a, you could nearly even throw in the word landmark there. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty big one, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's the first time that a union has ever successfully sued McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, or Australia. Sucked in McDonald's. Yeah, that's right, you know, and... Um, you know the 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 official or the summary of the official um, uh, official judgment goes um, as to contested contraventions. Contraventions, I have uh, concluded that um, uh, save that entailing the conduct of Tantex contraventions of S thirty five. Uh, that's of the Fair Work Act uh, arising from the conduct of um, of, uh, of Tantex, and to the extent indicated, uh, one of the directors have been proved. Um, yeah, the, and there was more alleg- uh, alleged contraventions which have been proved. So uh, yeah, that all goes now to um, goes to uh, our penalty hearings in in a few weeks. So watch that space and. Uh, Yes, a landmark. Uh, words that I can throw out there are landmark. <laughs> and the other one that I want to throw in there is precedent. Oh, nice. Good words. Yes. So, uh, yeah, if you're a McDonald's worker, um, now's the time to uh, get in touch. Go to www.rafu.org. 
www.mcdonalds.com.au um, forward slash McDonald's, I'm pretty sure. Or just go to the main page and you can find out much more information about that. Sign up, join, and uh, come and be part of uh, something exciting. Uh, yeah. Jingiwala Delta. Jingiwala, Hannah, and your crew. <laughs> How are you going? Oh, I'm wonderful. Wonderful, thank you. Really, really happy to be back and having a chat with you guys. Yeah, I plan to make you a regular on our show, just so you know. Oh, I would <laughs> love that. Uh, so we might just dive straight in. Can you just tell us a bit about the work that you do down in Cavern Bar or so-called Byron Bay? Yep, well, I'm a, I'm a proud Arakwal Bumberbin woman of Byron Bay. Um, my elders have fought, you know, for 20 years to... Um, to get their native title here in Byron Bay because um, my old people wanted to, you know, um, die back at their campsite in Ironbark, where I proudly live now, um, because of all their hard work. And we have, through all their hard work over the 20 years, um, signed um, historical agreements here called the Illuas Indigenous Land Use Agreements. And because of these uh, um, Illuas, um, we now have training and employment with national parks. So our joint management with national parks means that Arakal people are having a say over our country and we're actually working for country. So I'm an education officer and I run all the tours. And as you can tell, I love to have a yarn. <laughs> so I'll be quiet so you can ask the next question. <laughs> no worries, Del. Um, so with the Black Lives Matter movement that's broken out in the States um, this year, how, how, how did you react to it when you saw it first um, beginning over there? Look, it's been having it's it's been happening for so long. Like we always see these snippets on the news, hey, and and you just think, oh wow, you know, I'd hate to live in that country. Um, and that latest one with um, Mr. Floyd um, was quite um, dramatic. So it really hit home, and you can see why um, not only black people across the world but white people um, were coming out and and feeling so angry about it. So. Um, and, and then you think, oh, gosh, you know, it's happening here in Australia, but um, sadly, yeah, people don't, people don't um, protest um, so, so loud and, and um, I don't know, violently, I suppose, here in Australia. So, um, yeah, we've been um, putting up with it for so long that, um, yeah, it's taken a long time for Australia to get angry over black deaths in custody. Yeah, so do you think we could learn some things from the States? Um, for sure. Look, in, in my role as an education officer with National Parks, I, I share my culture with people, school children and adults, and I want them to love my culture like I love it. I want them to love country like I love country. And it's wonderful and rewarding when kids cuddle me and they say, I wish I was an Aboriginal. <laughs> so I think it's really important that we kill the nation with kindness and education um, about being proud of our first culture, and that's Aboriginal culture. Yeah, I think that's a good approach, education, because um, protesting a lot of the time, while I love <laughs> protesting, it doesn't always sit well with a lot of the... Um, the the country, I suppose, with a lot of people. 
No, Hannah, and and the thing is, you know, Aboriginal people, we 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 were not we're not violent people. It's all these um, years since British put the flag in the soil that all these traumatic effects of um, invasion and and land dispossession and um, the children being stolen and now the huge numbers and deaths in custody, um, it's spelled across generations. People yeah. are angry. Yeah, rightly so. If and I... they're shattering families and these families are left to deal with long complex legal processes and they usually don't yield results for families they don't give them closure um because people you know our our legal our our police system just gets away with it you know yeah we were just talking about tanya day um earlier in the show uh that the police officers involved in her death haven't had any yeah yeah which and, is and very it, disappointing and it's systematic failure and neglect you know yeah. if if um if the police system had better better training and um, they used the resources around them, like police have resources, they have Aboriginal welfare officers, uh, they have mental health delegates to help them um, with difficult situations. So it just shows you that racism that they're not using these these um, these support mechanisms that are around them. Yeah, well, I think They're the letting government people die. Exactly, I think the government has a lot to answer for in this respect because if we did put more money into these resources, you yeah, know, it's a huge complex we, issue. Yeah, we wouldn't need the police, you know. <laughs> yeah, as we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and back so, to the government, you know, the best thing the government did was, you know, give us the opportunity here in my country for our people to, to look after our land and our waters and we work on it and we make the decisions. It makes us um, proud and empowered and that's what the government needs to do to all these communities, you know. Yeah. Let them talk for their country and, their, and, and yeah, be, be empowered do you, do you think, think think things are changing at all? Sorry? Do you think things are changing in society that people are starting to realise collectively, like, what's gone on for so long? And well, well, I think um, a lot of um, non-Aboriginal people are, are waking up and um, I know down here in Byron we've had some wonderful... Um, um, people, you know, want to help and support and, and make change. And to, you know, just give your, your listeners some good news, we have a car park here in Byron Bay called Captain Cook Car Park. And since a lady did the Black Lives Matter rally, she wrote to our National Parks office and she wrote a beautiful letter outlining um, why isn't it um, a local Aboriginal word, um, as Captain Cook did not step off his ship in Byron Bay. And, um, yeah, it should be um, an Aboriginal word from the custodians here. So because of that, we're going to be renaming Captain Cook's car park um, to one of our local Aboriginal names. Oh, wonderful. No, that is great news. We do like to spread some positivity where we can. Um, yeah, so that that's just one positive story that we've had since the Black Lives um, rally. Yeah, that's good. There has been a little bit of that I've noticed, like with the um, the whole cheese thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah. And if people can do all these little changes in their communities, um, if there's a if there's a street or, or or a car park that's you know offensive to your na- your your indigenous community, then then change it. Yeah, there's a whole there's bunch of wrong with change. There's a whole bunch of streets around Brisbane um, now named Boundary Street. They mark the ah yeah yeah they mark the the border that was up, however long ago, that um, Indigenous Australians couldn't cross. So yeah, they're they're scattered all around, all around Brisbane. Yeah. Um. So I understand this next question means passing a degree of responsibility on to you, but I really want to hear what you think. How can we as white comrades do better? Um. Okay. When when there's um, work to do, I think it's really important that our 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 white comrades, our brothers and sisters, um, check in with the local community to ensure that um, you know ideas come from the local community, and make sure that it it is um, Aboriginal led because that empowers your your community. Um, I think it's really good to uh, open up um, opportunities to the Aboriginal community, uh, just like, you know, whether it's a small event that happens um, on the annual calendar, make sure that Aboriginal people have a say in what they'd like to deliver in your local event or your festival that you have each year. These things really empower community. Um, They grow relationships and... Um, Aboriginal children are seeing positive interactions with um, with the community. So, yeah, I think it's really important that people grow their relationships with their local mobs. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Thank you, Del. And keep the conversation going, Hannah. Oh, definitely. Um, down, down here we're, we're planning to, um, to have an art installation um, many people have asked me what they can do. I've told them uh, what we're going to do next for Black Lives Matter. So I've got um, uh, a few groups that are all making crosses. So lots of groups are making, you know, roughly uh, 25 crosses each group. So we can make the uh, the number up for the Black Deaths in Custody. Um, and we're going to install them on Main Beach, Byron Bay, so people can have that conversation um, about Black Lives Matter. Wow, that Since sounds, our sounds great. Byron rally on 6th of June, we had 432 deaths in custody. Mm. Now, two months later, we're up to 440 deaths in custody. That's eight more in two months. Yeah, yeah, that's unacceptable. Uh, that's a that's a really great idea with the art installation though. I think that's a really good way to um, communicate with the with the wider community. Delta uh, arts are really um, underused resource often. I think. Yeah, for sure, and it gets all these non-Aboriginal people who are very supportive. Uh, they're busy making them. One women's group. Um, have contacted me to say, Delta, we've made a hundred. Can we make some more? I said, Of course you can. <laughs> yeah, great. That's wonderful. 
do you do you have any final messages for our? Oh, sorry, Jackson, did you have a uh, question? Yeah. So those Indigenous land use agreements sound like a really awesome win. So I'm just uh, curious, what kind of tactics and organising you use to oh, actually sorry, get that Jackson, win? Sorry, Jackson, you keep breaking up. Okay, I'll try to talk louder. Um, those Indigenous land use agreements sound like a really awesome win. So I'm curious, what kind, like, how did you win that? Uh, what kind of tactics and organising did you use? Oh, okay. So the elders, um, they lodged their native title claim in 1994 after they saw Eddie Mabo receive his uh, land rights. Uh, Our elders did it different. They negotiated. They didn't go through the courts and litigated. Um, So halfway through the native title journey in 2001, uh, they um, created Arakal National Park, um, which is the background where they, uh, their backyard where they grew up and hunted and gathered. So by creating Arakal National Park and getting their land back, um, they created committees to overlook the land. So it was a a huge accomplishment. Um, And our 2001 Iliwa uh, is a model used around Australia um, because it was the first of its kind to create Arakal National Park, a, a national park under an Iliwa. It's law binding, so the government must ensure that um, it's all the uh, legalities are followed, and that is that our people have four sitting on our committees, and all our committees must have an Arakal as a chairperson. Um, yeah, so it's, it's yeah, it's really difficult because um, you have to prove your descent and connection to country, Jackson. So with a lot of people being depla- displaced and uh, removed from country, it's not an easy thing um, that our elders have done. It made them very sick. Thank you, Dal. Mm. Uh, do you have any final messages for our listeners? No, I just want to thank the listeners for, for, for listening. Um, and I just think that if, if everyone does something, you know, don't just say it. Don't, don't write that you support Black Lives Matters or, or, or post a, a picture. Um, actually do something, you know, do something. Great message. Thank you so much, Del. Um, we really appreciate you coming on the show again and we hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much, Jackson and Hannah. And Bill has disappeared, but anyway. (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you again soon, Dal. Right, so, uh, well, um, we... we Uh, Just one You go. Uh, Given that we ended that interview with the sentiment of go out and do something... I wanted to mention the next Black Lives Matter event in Brisbane, uh, which is a BLM pop-up market at Musgrave Park on the 26th of September, starting at 10am. So it's an event looking to bring people of all backgrounds and cultures together through food, arts, crafts and performances. The stalls and performers are coming together to share a piece of their culture with the community as culture in the past has been used as a means of dividing us. Today it's what brings us together. We ask that those who attend the market are respectful to the traditional owners of the land that are Yuggera people 
the environment and others around you and face masks and hand sanitizer will be available on the day and they are urge everyone to obey social distancing rules as much as possible and stay home if you're experiencing flu-like symptoms. That sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like a good yeah, day. Yeah, you could n- nearly put, put that in the mutual aid yeah. bit markets, <laughs> couldn't you? Uh, you know, if uh, one were to be a bit flexible in their approach. But I, I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's a great idea, you know, a way to, ways of bringing uh, different parts of the community together. So great work, and I want to I want to head out. I, I like markets. I'm, I, now that we're in spring, yeah, it's the first day of spring. I'm super super oh. excited about that, comrades. I'm yeah, and it's I a, love spring. It's, it's a beautiful <laughs> Brisbane morning out there, and uh, yes, uh, so it'll be you know to uh, have markets and and that, and that. Uh, I, I'm organising a campaign for uh, September and October I, out at Ipswich. I'm really excited and I've even uh, gone out on a limb and, and organised some outdoor events. I'm oh. just like, oh, if it rains, yeah. the whole thing's going to be ruined. But if it doesn't, it's just going to be a beautiful day. And, and uh, we all know what uh, how beautiful southeast Queensland is in uh, spring and, oh, yeah, and late winter. Lovely. You know, the mornings are a bit, bit risky, but... Uh, yeah, I, I love these afternoons. So, uh, yeah, you get out there on the 20 26th, 26th Musgrave to Musgrove Park, Park and, uh, and grab yourself a bargain and uh, show some solidarity with our First Nations comrades. Sounds good. Uh, we might jump into a workers' action. So university academics vote to take unprotected strike action. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> University staff across the country have voted to prepare for unprotected industrial action as they protest widespread job cuts, a lack of federal government funding and the government's changes to degrees. A collective of hundreds of academic staff called the National Higher Education Action Network voted last Monday afternoon to endorse a plan of protests with the goal of making democratically planned unprotected industrial action possible. This year, the University of Melbourne and the University of New South Wales have announced job cuts as they face billions of dollars of lost revenue due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Public universities are not eligible for JobKeeper, and in June, the Education Minister, Dan Tehan, announced sweeping changes that would cut the overall government funding for degrees. A fortnight ago, the University of Sydney confirmed that it sent an email asking staff to suggest how to cut up to 30% of jobs in some faculties. Last Monday's meeting, which had approximately 460 attendees from all Australia's major universities, called on the federal government to increase its funding to universities and guarantee jobs during the pandemic. Its motions, including those calling for unprotected industrial action, were carried with 96% of people voting in favour. The crisis in higher education is so severe and the Tehan reforms which are promising to take even more government money out of universities are just going to exacerbate this. We think now is the time. The NEAHN will hold further meetings to discuss what the industrial action will involve. The group isn't officially affiliated with the National Tertiary Education Union but contains rank and file members and seven NTEU branches endorsed Monday's meeting. Right on, some uh, you know rank and fileists uh, getting out there, standing up and fighting back. I'd love to hear stories like that. Yeah, me too. This is yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this goes because, as we know, 
the um, universities are really under attack and they have been for a number of years well, they've now. Been, they've been gutted. Gutted is the word yeah. that you can use, you know. Um, uh, it's, it's a perfect storm of, of, of ruin for uh, academics, you know. Yeah, if you're a casual academic at the start of the year, you... He probably would have been going. Oh, okay, another year. Here we go. I'm going to educate some, some, some. Uh, you know, new, new, new workers. Boom. Yeah, and so many, so many academics are in casual positions yeah, now. Right. Like so many of the workforces, everyone's been casualised. Too right, and the, and the bosses, you know, for 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 whatever reason, you know, like a, even something like like a, a university, they they maybe deemed as a not-for-profit, but they're always runners for profits, yeah. you know. And, uh, um, so cuts, cuts, cuts. <laughs> yeah, you, just, you just have to go to a, um, a university. Um, when, when you go get your degree, what do they call it, a graduation, or you go to one of those, right? Oh, I haven't talked about this live on here, but it's a hierarchical demonstration, that one, where where the Chancellor comes out first. Mm. Everyone's got to be seated for for when he comes out and, and then he gets a throne on stage oh, and gosh. all this, you know, plus the huge salary that they're commanding, you know, and, uh, yeah, they, they, they treat these things like business and, uh, yeah, they don't think of workers in any way and hence, well, we've got a highly casual, vulnerable, casualised workforce of, you know, let, let's face it, the, these are our intellectuals. Yeah, and we're letting down our, our, academics. our future workers. That's right. You know? These are the ones that, uh, you know, yeah, should be educating our young workers and, uh, um, you know, on how to stand up and fight back. Uh, if they can't do it for themselves, well, how are they going to teach us? So good on them. Yeah. Good story. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, like uh, Workers Power and uh, us as unionists will be there in solidarity. Um, with, with um, you know tertiary educators, yeah, and be... especially the fact that it's unprotected yeah. strike action is mm. really exciting. It's not something you see very often, like the, taking outside right. of the whole framework to bring back control to yourselves outside of what the state allows. Yeah, and so there's some unprotected action that they could take that would be legal. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good on them, and uh, it'd be interesting space to watch uh, 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 from a solidarity perspective, but also from an organising perspective. <laughs> oh, 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 we could learn a few tricks or two. <laughs> yeah, now, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on this one. Yeah, so now we can move on to some workers' action, Bill. Yeah, right. Um, I've got uh, something. I reached out to them. They uh, they have uh, got back to me, but uh, not in time for this week's show. But hopefully, we can get them on that uh, next week. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, a little known uh, trade. That's that's the way I was talking to to your comrades about it, and um, it, it, they're called the. Um, so they're, they're the firefighters. Uh, they're the United. Where am I? The United Fire Firefighters uh, uh, Aviation. The the United Firefighters Aviation uh, Division. Branch. So they're the people who fly planes over the fire and drop water on it and stuff, or helicopters. Yeah, they look after. Yeah, in the in the airports and. Oh no no no. Now you're oh, thinking okay. of you're thinking of right. the ones that that put out the bushfires. Yeah. Now these are the ones that uh, you very rarely see them, but uh, they work in the airports, hmm. right? So they've been adversely affected. Um, 
like my computer has, <laughs> <laughs> just at the crucial time, of course. Um, they've uh, so so they're the ones who you know if if, if a plane goes boom, uh, they're there to you know to look after it. Now, with with um, uh, with the the safety record of Australia, you know, to start off with, you know, there's been no no major uh, blasts. No major fires here in Australia, um, and also with COVID, because there's no flights going on, uh, the uh, the company decide, reckons that it's a, it's a good time to make some cuts, mm. as a lot of other um, you know um, businesses out there have been doing, um, and uh, so uh, their their union is. Uh, you know, trying to organise and and uh, yeah, and uh, so I thought I'd talk about. It. I haven't done too much research, as you can <laughs> see. I'm digging away, here, trying trying to, to to find out more. But but um, yeah, I, I just wanted to highlight because we didn't. You know, we don't even know they're there. Mm. You know, these are the these are the workers that they're essential. They're essential to to our safety, to uh, to the public, and to workers as well. You know, workers who work in the aviation industry, they're essential workers because um, you know when things go boom um, with jet fuel, things go boom. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those things where, like, even though you don't see them most of the time, when you do need them, you're really glad that they're there. Too right. That that's exactly right, and. Uh, um, you know, so uh, they've been doing some some great stuff, and uh, um, you know that uh, that uh, standing up for their workers during this time. And uh, so a shout out to them. Hopefully, um, yeah, we will. They're they're based out of North Lakes, which is quite interesting. And uh, um, the. Uh, the the United uh, Firefighter Workers Union Aviation Branch will have much more detail uh, next week and and the like rather than me just rambling on about not, not much <laughs> at all. Right, uh, what's the other story I put on here that I I, I, I thought oh the the nurses. So the ner- the Qu- the Queensland Nurses Union, uh, Queensland Nurses and Midwives Union, did a did a a, 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 a post, a, a media release during the week, and uh, I just wanted to talk about how labour, just a little bit about labour, and and, and look, uh, we, we do talk about electoral politics a little bit every now and again, you know, we don't delve too deep into it, but. I know myself, I'm always whinging about labour and, 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 you know, they should be standing up more for worker. Well, they have. So I thought I'd better do the right thing for balance. And uh, this is the report that the Nurses and Midwives Union, it's short and sweet. Good to see labour finally coming to the table on minimum staff ratios for aged care. Anthony Albanese has called on the federal government to guarantee minimum staffing levels in aged care and for public reporting of providers' performance. It's past time the federal government stepped up for aged care. Yeah, it's about time. I think that those are the key words. <laughs> Could That's... have been done a lot sooner. I think there's been so much public pressure that something had to give. 
yeah. that's my take anyway. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and and uh, it's another one of those industries that, that never should be for profit. You know, like, oh gosh, no, we're looking, you know, you know after our old people. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, some of our most vulnerable, and so, some some of them have. have are workers who've contributed their whole life to our class. Yeah. Um, whether that whether whether that be through activism or whether that just be through going to work every day and raising a family. That's yeah. That's advancing our class, and uh, especially when you uh, um, educate uh, uh, your kids like we do. <laughs> uh, yes, that's uh, forwarding our class, and and. and it's it's just such a, such a shame that that, that the dig- dignity is is removed uh, for the sake of profit. Oh, exactly. I don't look forward to. Well, hopefully, a lot has changed by the time we're old and facing, you know, what where we're going to be nursing homes or whatnot. Because yeah, you, you, it doesn't look good at the moment. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. You look at the brochures and it, and it looks like a, a, a you know a. Uh, a scene for for those over sixty, mm. you know, with bingo and and and, and discos and and the like. But uh, you know the reports that we're hearing, uh, you know, especially from uh, uh, down in Victoria, where you mm. know there's inadequate staffing to do with crisis, and um, you know some some of these organisations are struggling day to day, and and, and, you, and you throw in a crisis, so, uh, you, you know, on top of that, yeah, it and, all comes um, tumbling down. Yeah, we get we get the problems that that we've had, and uh, hopefully uh, out of this crisis, it's a it's a it's a wake up call, you know, for. For, for all of us, you know, to say that you, you can't run on a shoestring every day. I used to say this. I used to, in middle management, I, I used to whinge about this all the time, you know, and, and say, oh, oh, you can cut staffing, you know, you, you only need, because I used to work on, on a team of 11, right? Oh, you only need 10, you, you know, like you, you should be right for 10. And I, and I used to always say, yeah, but what about sick leave? And they go, well, you know, what about it? And I go, well, we've got 10 staff, right? They get eight sick days a year. That's eighty days they've got to cover. Yeah. What about their annual leave? See, and, and what what what? Well, from my experience, what they did in uh, retail is they go, well, it's just tough. You 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 just gonna mm-hmm. have to push forward if someone's sick. You know, everyone else works harder. No, 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 no. We stand up as a collective and we tell them, no, that's not good enough. You know. Yeah. So, um, but once again, I'm rambling, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is what some people tune in for on uh, Workers Power Four Triple Z. Right? Uh, hey, hey, I've got feedback. Oh. I've got feedback, personal feedback. A, a, a comrade Jesse uh, from the ETU uh, said uh, he he loves the rambling. Oh, we were just talking <laughs> about that, weren't we? Yeah, great. Oh, we're all for the rambling. Th- thank you, Jesse, and I know Jesse's a Four Triple Z subscriber, so. Uh, Beautiful, thank you, Jess. That's oh, that's made my day. <laughs> ramble on, Bill. Ram, ramble. Well, well, we 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 get well less than half hour to the end of the show. I'm sure Scallywag. Uh, uh, we'll have a bit to talk about there. Yeah, there'll be another opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, till then, we've got to do some work, uh, international workers' action. Yeah. Well, I might just quickly jump into events before we do yeah. that. Uh, on Thursday at 4pm at Raymond Park, we have Unpacking Oppression, which is hosted by Refugee Solidarity Brisbane Nianjin. I think this um, is really relevant, particularly regarding what we've been talking about in the show, uh, what we talked about with Delta K earlier. 
Um, so, yeah, get along to Raymond Park on Thursday at 4pm and unpack your uh, unpack oppression. <laughs> yeah, that's the park behind the uh, Pineapple Hotel out near the uh, Kangaroo Point uh, prison. Yeah. Oh, am I allowed to see even say that? Yeah. Yeah, I, can, I think I can it's, say it's it. A, it's a prison. It, it is, is a prison. It? it is, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, get out there and, uh, like I said, 4pm on a... A beautiful spring afternoon. Sounds oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, geez, that's twice I've mentioned the, the lovely spring. <laughs> you know, might have to take the family for a picnic or something <laughs> this weekend. Sounds lovely. Um, yes. So, oh, oh, we're on to International Workers Action. We yes. are. Um, so, so uh, in Kenosha, Jacob Blake was shot by a police officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, on Sunday the 23rd of August. Blake, 29, had been working on breaking up a fight when he returned to his vehicle with his three sons inside. The pig grabbed his shirt and shot him seven times as he was turned away. Blake is currently in intensive care fighting for his life. The people of Kenosha responded in kind, attacking the courthouse, burning cars and dump trucks, breaking police cars, hurling bricks and molotovs at pigs. They succeeded in knocking at least one pig unconscious, protecting others from his attacks. The courthouse was set on fire. In the pre-dawn hours of the second night of protests, the smoke along 22nd Avenue was so thick it was impossible to see anything more than half a block away except the flashing lights of fire trucks. Smoke was rising from what remained of the Department of Corrections building. Daylight revealed that the building had been reduced to rubble on one wall still standing has my black skin is not a crime spray painted on the side. On August the 20th, on Tuesday the 25th of August, a 17-year-old white man opened fire on the Black Lives Matter protesters in Kenosha, killing two people and injuring a third. The shooter, a self-declared militia member, an avid Trump supporter who was spotted front row at one of the president's rallies in January, was apprehended in Illinois a day later and charged with murder. On social media, the shooter posted frequently in support of the pro-police Blue Lives Matter movement, posed with a gun and appeared in a photo when he was 15 years old wearing a police uniform as part of a public safety cadet program. Eyewitness videos of murders show a shooter with a long gun fail, falling to the ground and shooting into a crowd as protesters attempt to disarm him. Later videos show that police then allowed the shooter to leave the scene even as people attempted to identify him to the police. I believe they also gave him water, didn't they? Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's been all over all over the internet, you know, the stark differences. Uh, you know, one, one was doing the right thing, trying to, you know... Um, sought out a few workers who, who were uh, having a bit of a stoush and got shot for his trouble. The other's walking around with a gun shooting people and, and, mm. and the cops don't get him till the next day. Yeah, well, it was all pretty premeditated with the police. They were, like, herding protesters towards these, you know, pro-Trump lunatics with their guns. It's all, yeah... Yeah, yeah, and I believe uh, Jacob Blake uh, is still alive, but he has been paralysed in hospital, which is unfortunate. In front of his three kids. Yeah, yeah. those poor kids. Yeah. Man. 
like how am I swore then? <laughs> it's yeah, there's no words really for what's what's happening over there and it's really important that we report on it and that we understand what's happening over there and also that we understand the relevance to to what's happening in this country which everyone's a lot quieter yes. about. And one thing that's very worrying is the blatant uh, cooperation between the police and fascists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the, the comment that I was going to make is fascism is alive and well in, in America. Mm. Yes, and it's growing and interconnecting. Mm. Very, very, very concerning. Okay, uh well, on, on that, we, we, we've got an uprising in Johannesburg, um, South Africa, after police murder of Nathaniel Julius. Here we go again. Yes, colonialism is alive and well all around the world. Following mm-hmm. the murder of Nathaniel Julius, a teenager with Down syndrome by police, militants burned tyres, erected barricades, threw stones at police and damaged a police station in Johannesburg, South Africa. Nathaniel Julius died in hospital in Johannesburg on Wednesday night, hours after he was shot by police metres away from his home in the city's El Dorado Park suburb. The murder occurred after residents in the neighbourhood took to the streets to protest the lack of housing in the area. In recent months, the South African police have repeatedly justified instances of brutality with the enforcement of coronavirus restrictions. Nathaniel Julius was shot in the chest when he was unable to answer questions from the police. During the protest on the day of Julius's death, militants held rocks at police who fired rubber bullets and stun grenades. On Friday, Police Minister Becky Selly was confronted by an angry crowd chanting police are corrupt and justice for Nathaniel as he, vis- as he visited Julius's pa- parents in El Dorado Park. According to the boy's family, the police are trying to cover up the cold-blooded killing. The shooting is reminiscent of other instances of police brutality in South Africa during the coronavirus lockdown that started on March 27th, including the murder of Tyrone Moing, 19, who was fatally shot by police on April 13th. I was listening to um, Radio Reversal last Thursday, and it was a really, really good show. Anyway, they they were interviewing um, somebody. I can't remember his name, sorry. But anyway, he was talking about how the apathy regime in South Africa was modelled on Australia's white Australia policy. They had leaders come over here and tour Queensland and they saw the segregation and they've gone back to South Africa and they've gone, hey, well, this is how we need to do it. This is how Australia is doing it. This is how we need to have, you know, a white policy. And I thought that was that was mind-blowing because I didn't know that. <laughs> it's, it's not a claim to fame. No. <laughs> you know, you know, like... Yeah, those, uh, those, those Australians know how to be racist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, uh, but, yeah, look... Yeah, you uh, have these stories where, like, you, you get these awful um, systems of, like, apartheid in South Africa, which is inspired by Australia, and then you have, like, Nazi Germany, which was inspired by the US. Mm. And it's like pr- all these awful systems are inspired by, like these western countries um but we claim that we're so free and liberal and all that no well it's all a joke really isn't yeah. it like australia's oh we're just larrikins beer drinking fun having larrikins but it's 
Oh, I don't think it's the truth anyway. That's just well, our cover. Yeah, well, that that larrikinism and, and and that has come about, and that well, for the one of the word prosperity has come about, and on the oppression of First Nation workers and mm. and 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 well, all workers now, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you look when uh, you know a company like Coles makes you know billions upon billions of dollars a year, and then they, then they they nitpick and and, and find ways of uh, of of paying less than the legal minimum. It's outrageous. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, and it's happening all over the world. Yeah, that's why. Um, you know, uh, international uh, workers' action is very important to us, and uh, uh, you, you're not going to hear much about uh, what's going on in uh, South Africa unless you're a four triple Z listener, are right, you? That's right. So tune in. Great, great cross promo there too, by the way, Hannah. Oh no worries. I really did enjoy the show. It I is was a great driving sh- to work. It yeah. was really informative. It's a good show, Radio Reversal. They got it. They got a, a good team, and uh, they got more. Div- I was talking to. Uh, Jackson earlier, we've got to work on our diversity. We've got to find, you know. So uh, they're they're very they've got it down pat. Maybe we'll steal someone from their show. Come and and be a part. Come on, anyone from the radio reversal team is more than welcome to come and be part of the working power team. (laughs) It's a great show, and uh, yeah, we've got other great news sources. You know, like coming up after after us, you've got uh, uh, Brisbane Lines, and uh, we've, we've got Eco Radio. Um, I think Subversion One Three One yeah, Two is on still tonight. going. Yeah, they're on. They're on I Tuesday believe. nights, um, and and of course uh, a- Andy Payne and Ian Kerr on uh, Fridays. Um, what's their show called again? I forgot. Well, tune into the uh, uh, Andy Payne Hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's Paradigm Shift. It's called. Of course, <laughs> I know that. Right, uh, let, let's uh, just one go. thing. Given like I was talking about it being all over the world, uh, there. Were, I can't find anything about it right now, but there is a um, hearing, a committal hearing for the about the shooting of Kumanjai Walker in Uendamu, Um coming up soon. Yeah, but that's something that like Indigenous people want um, solidarity for people to show up and show support for yeah. the family. So that is actually starting today, and it's going to the fourth of September. And it'll be taking place at the Alice Springs local court uh, starting at 10am. So it's already started. That will be something we can report on next week, I think. But (laughs) I imagine it's not something most of our listeners can get to. But if you happen to be in the Alice Springs area, you know, (laughs) go check it out and show your support. But what I also... So that's this week. Uh, We we will endeavour during the week... As that unfolds, to uh, to to get a bit of a story uh, um, to highlight on next week's show. That's uh, sounds uh, good. Well, we've got homework, comrades. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, very worthwhile. We we uh, reported that. I, I remember way back when it first happened, and um, uh, I remember um, our uh, the announcer coordinator correcting on my uh, um, uh, pronunciation of the town Uendamu. So I've got it right now. I'm, I'm close anyway. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, 
Um, yeah, yeah, we'll keep you updated. Um, yeah, they're the type of stories that we uh, we love to uh, report on here. And uh, well, you like, love to is we, well. <laughs> we think we, we, we need think it's to. good to report. Yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, my wording could it's have been important. a little bit better there. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we would love to report on uh, you know some work. coppers getting found guilty of murder. That would be nice. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Being held accountability and uh, transparency would we, 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 we would love. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll report on the facts. And uh, uh, from a worker's perspective, uh, always here on our Workers' Power for Triple Z. Okay, I've got um, uh, one that uh, I'm going to talk about. Uh, just, just I found out it was, it was a good show of solidarity towards the Bakers and Food, the Bakers Food and Allied Workers Union, uh, which is um, over in the UK. Now, it, it appears that this has come from the, the Trade Unions Council, which is, uh, I think it's their equivalent of the ACTU. Um, uh, their General Secretary, uh, Francis O'Grady, has put out this a media release that I thought was worth a, worth a bit of sharing. Coronavirus has shown a light on the huge inequalities at work in the UK. Those on low pay or insecure contracts have often suffered the most over the last few months. We all want to get businesses up and running as quickly as possible to reduce the risk of damaging of a damaging recession and job losses. But safety always comes first and returns to and returns to workplaces have to happen in a safe way. It's going to take time to do it right and workers shouldn't be pushed into poverty whilst trying to do this properly. My thoughts have been with everyone at Greencore Northampton as so many of you have suffered such a severe illness, worry and hardship during this outbreak. And I'd like to send solidarity to all Greencore Northampton's BFAWU members for your campaign to win a fairer deal on for low, sick pay and safe return for everyone. There's an important principle that workers shouldn't be penalised for doing the right thing and following the guidance to isolate properly and help keep all of us safe. If people can't afford to self-isolate, then they're being forced to keep working when it isn't safe. That puts them, their workmates and their local community at risk and undermines everyone's efforts to get through this pandemic as safely as possible. £95 a week of sick pay simply isn't enough to live on and employers should recognise that before pushing loyal staff further into poverty whilst isolating. At the TUC, we're continuing to press for a return and recovery that isn't paid for on the backs of working people and it's good to see BFAWU members at Greencore Northampton putting this into practice with your campaign. I hope you and your families can stay safe and by working through your union, win the changes you deserve. I just like that, and uh, it was a good, good share, good show. You know, we 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 love a little bit of solidarity, and uh, um, here, so uh, it's good for the the, the trade hall there, uh, speaking up for their uh, member union and uh, standing in solidarity. Yeah, it's, uh, and as we know, um, over there, it's uh, 
uh, the like in the US, the uh, the pandemic has taken a bit more hold and, uh, and has a much more uh, effect on on the workers. Um, which um, we, we, we look, it's very rare that we uh, speak up for for, for labour, and uh, but uh, they have acted. Mm. <laughs> They've acted. <laughs> They've done something. They've done something. They've yeah. tried. We like to give credit where credit's due, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, they've, <laughs> they've tried, you know. So, <laughs> look, closing the border, the Queensland borders, and and, and uh, uh, the premier, the Queensland premier, has copped a bit of slack for it, but uh, it's worked. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's worked. There's been a couple, another couple of scares where there's a, you know, a, a bit, and most of it's in 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 related in around the uh, detention centre mm. cluster. Um, so it's worked. And, and the other thing is down in Victoria, I, I noticed the numbers are down less than 100 new cases a day. Oh, that's good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard that pretty much all the new cases are within healthcare staff and aged care, actually. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and no, that highlights the importance of, uh, you know, speaking up for them. We, we mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show and we've been talking a, a lot about uh, aged care over the last uh, few months for obvious reasons. Uh, all right, so let, let's uh, go on to Scallywag of the Week. And I like that. He- Can I read that heading? Please do. Gladys craps on New South Wales engineers. <laughs> Great headline. <laughs> so our Scallywag of the Week is, is, is Premier Gladys. Uh, who has crapped on workers after the New South Wales state leader said New South Wales had to buy trains from overseas because Australia was not good at building them. Shame. Shame. More like we're not good at putting together, looking after workers. Uh, Gladys told media at a Sydney press conference on Wednesday that Australian and New South Wales are not good at building trains. That's why we have to purchase them. The comments come against the backdrop of New Sydney River Ferries berthed at Carrington that contain asbestos gaskets and are reportedly too tall to pass under bridges in the state's capital while carrying passengers upstairs. Oh, it sounds like they just don't want to pay workers a decent wage to build trains. You yeah. Guys, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it is. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. So what a scallywag that Liberal government has been. Hopefully the... Uh, um, and, and, and get this, uh, another thing. Well, while, while we're on the scallywags in New South Wales Parliament, including the Liberal Party and their leader, they're, they're getting in cahoots with One Nation to uh, bring back uh, nuclear um, mining and nuclear power. Oh, my God. I know. I know. It's, no words. Yeah, it's just it's just going crazy. And, uh, this world. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I deal with a little bit of One Nation and their, their rubbish out at, out at Ipswich. Uh, oh, geez, I could do a whole, whole show and scallywag over that, but... Uh, <laughs> Yes, um, so uh, yeah, plenty, plenty of news for us to report on um, um, New South Wales, and that scallywag is their premier, Gladys Berejiklian. Berejiklian. Bereg- for shame. Yeah, I'm not. Mate. Like, like <laughs> I, like I say, look, when, when I have uh, respect for comrades, I will make uh, the effort to uh, say their name for, but for her, <laughs> nah, not worth Fair the effort. Enough. 
Right, well, that's it. That's it. We, we've got five minutes enough to play play a song, and uh, we're done for Workers' Power for another week. We are. What see a great you, show. See you next week, comrades. Right, I see you next Tuesday.